<laughs> Hi, welcome to For the Craft. This is the show where we smoke bongs. Is that what it sounded like? Did that not sound like... I chew tobacco really bong? weird, I guess. It I don't sounded like chew a bong. Well, no bongs here. We're not smoking any of the marijuana no we, on this episode today. But if you have some, send it to us. 555-555-555 for the craft road. Yep. But seriously, That's our address. hit us up if you have some extra that you want to give to us. That's You know how I, my friends are always telling me, Dan, 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 I have so much extra marijuana. Will you please take it for me? You know what? If you don't ask, you'll never get a yes. And we're back. And we're back! This is the most professional podcast you have listened to and downloaded on your phone today. And you know what? Thanks for that. Yeah, kick rock, Sam Richards. <laughs> uh, my name is Dan, and I'm with my co-host, Dave. I'm Dave, and I'm with my co-host, Dan. I am Dan, and we are the guys that have been putting together for the craft since October 2015 for you sweethearts out there. And uh, we really enjoy doing this. This is lots of fun. So thanks for all of the hundreds of hours. If I, I'll dare I say thousands. Thousands. Thousands of hours that you've spent listening to us talk about romantic movies, Star Wars, and beer. That's right. That's right. I don't get tired of people coming up to me out of the blue in the grocery store, in the library, at the DMV saying, Hey, aren't you Dan from For the Craft? <laughs> and I'm like... Go away, son of a bitch. And because, no, I'm Dave for From, from For the, the Craft. Craft. Joking aside, though, Dave does get approached the most. People go, wait, you're the guy Dave from For the Craft. I do. That's only I happened do. to me one time. Speaking of dedication to being dedicated for the craft, today's episode is about home brewing. Now, last season we did an episode where Dave and I brewed a beer, and we just hit record while we drank all day and did it. Now, this episode is going to be different because we had... Um, our resident guy. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That's we're st- yeah. I'm still gotta. You'd think that we would have thought of a cool name for our our guy. His name's Taylor, and he is a home brewer. And when Taylor talks about home brewing, he doesn't just mean brewing beer. He means cider and beer and spirits and all kind of historical, like distilled and alcoholic beverages. So I had a chance to sit down with Taylor, and he told me his life story. He's kind of a renaissance man. He's a bit of a renaissance man. And I, Dave actually, it's funny, the way Dave got to know Taylor made sense. Yeah, I was in a homebrewing club uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, they had to transition uh, old Johnny Stockfish, who lives up in Denver um, now. He was leading the homebrew club. And uh, Taylor came and took over. And the very first time Taylor took over, he led us in the making of a hard lemonade which he'll talk about in his segment because he loves hard lemonade and i sat there the whole time and i was like this isn't beer but by the end i was like this still isn't beer but it's okay and taylor is a good human being and uh i think you're really gonna like what he brings to uh the table i actually don't know how i got to know him he just kind of showed up in my life like a a beer person. I think we walked by each other and like a ghost, something like that of a ghost, where he came up to me and he said, "Hey, you are a beer guy, right?" And I said, "Who dis? New phone? Who dis?" And that's how Taylor and I got to know each other. And luckily enough, he came over and we recorded uh, him talking about all this stuff. I think you're gonna learn a lot. There's some resources that he's gonna talk about in his segment, and will there there will be links um, in the information about 
this episode where you can follow on how he got his start from homebrewing and home distilling. So, here's Taylor. Guys, listen to Taylor. Here it is. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Taylor. Taylor. We'll figure out one of those intros is definitely going to be Probably this. Probably the last one. Maybe all of them together? <laughs> yeah, okay. Here, right now I'm going to loop them all on top of each other and we'll see how it sounds. And yeah. now, nice. listen to Taylor. 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 Hello, welcome to the show. For the sake of legality, we're not going to use your last name just in case you share anything about the distilling that you do that might not be legal. Does that seem fair? That seems fair. And do you want me to do a voice modulation thing on your voice? That's fine. You don't want to do that? that. Okay. (laughs) Because I can make you sound like a cool alien or something. No. I don't sell anything or make all that much. Taylor and I are going to talk about home distilling and home brewing because Taylor is, um, I feel like the word hobbyist is kind of derogatory, but I don't mean it in a derogatory way, but like, no? it's definitely like a hobby that Taylor's done for a long time, and he's good at it. I've drank a lot of the stuff that he's made, and we were going to chat a little, bit, a little bit about home brewing and home distilling. I got into kind of making my own beverages in while I was living in Michigan. Uh, met a friend in college whose family owned an apple orchard up north uh, of where we were at, and they had all these apple trees. Uh, it was apple orchard is not a uh, a fair term. They had apple trees between the fields that they farmed, okay. so they were mostly crab apples, all different types, which is actually perfect for making a beautiful cider. Okay, I don't know if have you ever. I've had lots of different ciders, but I I guess I've never had one that someone has told me, oh, this is a crab apple like species. Well, of. so it, in cider making, the more apple varieties you can put into the cider, the more unique and complex the flavor is. Hmm. That makes sense. And so if you're just like walking down a field and you see a bunch of crab apples, that's gold for making your own. Well. Not not every single tree is perfect, but you know, crab apples generally aren't that tasty when you just try them. But when you turn them into cider, they're awesome. Cool, and you get all sorts of unique, you know, random trees that grew from a random apple, and and all these unique trees put into a cider makes for a pretty killer cider. Are they still making it? Back um, up north? They actually sold their land last year, and I think I shed a few tears when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I went up every year. They had a they they called it the cider pressing. Just a day, come up the night before. We camp out in the fields. We you know pick a bunch of apples, and then they had a, a two story cider press. Wow, built out of wood. The, the guy that um, my friend's dad uh, was really good with wood, and he made this beautiful cider press. And so it all day long we'd be pressing apples, and you get. I think the first year we were there, we probably got a couple hundred gallons. Second year, we got, I think the highest we ever had was like 320 gallons for the day. And I would bring uh, buckets and and ferment things. Mm -hmm. So the more work you put into gathering apples, the more you could take home. And so most people would just freeze it and kind of drink apple cider for fun because it was pretty tasty and a little easier than making cider itself yeah although you know i would say fermenting cider is probably one of the easiest things to get started because there's no heating uh at least i i don't heat cider i know some people do to try so you still make some every now and then i do Yeah. yeah i actually made my own cider press when i moved to phoenix three years ago about right now (laughs) um oh anniversary yeah yeah we're hoping to do that soon cool (laughs) 
um, yeah, we made a little cider press just based on kind of the the same concept. We use a car jack and we just uh, go up into the mountains where they have some apple trees and pick some stuff. It's more expensive because it's not just a crab apple tree in a field, yeah. you know. So yeah. it, it it does get a little bit more expensive because I generally like to do um, more organic type stuff because you you can only wash an apple so much, and so when they're sprayed a whole lot, um, you, know, you don't want to be scrubbing every single apple right by hand, you and know, and spending a minute. On, it. it would take three days just to clean all the apples. Yeah. Um, so I I try and find places that have organic apples that do low spray. Um, and, and just do the best as you can, right? So cider so, got you into all of it. Cider that. got me into and it, and I still do it to this day because it's so simple. Is you, it your, you would say it's like your first love? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Well, and it was so cheap, too. You know, we'd yeah. go up, we'd gather our own apples, we'd press it in, in the barn. You'd come home, and you'd, you'd let it ferment for uh, three months or so, and then you'd bottle it, and, oh, it's just gorgeous. <laughs> And and at the time when I had started, maybe ten years ago or so, there weren't a lot of ciders out there, and the stuff that was was really sweet. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd have your Crispin, and uh, I think the only the only thing you could find were there were some ciders you could get at specialty bottle shops from the UK because they would yeah, have a dry like cider. And they're, and they're right, they're they're pretty into it over there, right. the dry cider. But everything you could find generally was sweet. Mm. And and I like a really dry cider, dry with a deep complex flavor, and it's really easy to make. It's really How cheap I, to I've make. I've never had your cider. No, I'm embarrassed of that. Yeah, well, I've got a whole five gallon uh, carboy full of it right now, so we'll we'll be well, kegging yeah, it maybe. soon and. Awesome. Seeing how it is. Hooray for the fall. Yeah. Do you like to have that around the fall, I imagine, or do yeah. you just do it year-round? You know, I do it, I drink it year-round. Um, I make enough so that I can just have a little bit all year-round. And one of my favorite things is really make, let's say, make 10 gallons. And and you take, I, I like to let it sit for three months before I first start trying it. But a year later, it is so mellow and smooth and beautiful. Oh, it is heaven. <laughs> so that sounds like a long period of fermentation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for cider. Let me yeah. ask this question. Do you use a champagne yeast for I, fermentation? I typically use a champagne yeast, okay, yeah. Cool. I've experimented with a lot of different kinds, and I uh, I think I settled on the Lavlin, I think is how you pronounce it. I think it's a French company. EC, sounds right to me. EC118. Um, it's a... So just pretty cheap and readily available yeast that you can find at any homebrew shop right. across the country. And, you know, I'll just do batches, you know, four different yeasts, same exact cider, and then try all four to see mm-hmm. which one is the best. And I kind of narrow it in on that guy. So. And so cider led you into beer or spirits next? Uh, beer. Beer. Yep. So as soon as I was successful with doing cider and was like, wow, this this only cost me $10 to make 10 gallons of cider, Oh, what's next? And so I uh, went over to the local homebrew shop back in Michigan where I was at. There's a pretty thriving homebrew scene out there. Here in Phoenix, you know, we've we've got a couple different homebrew shops. They're all pretty basic in my opinion. And they're in, I would say that as, like, you and I live in central Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And, like, we kind of have to drive There's nothing at least 25 Phoenix. minutes to go to a homebrew shop. Yep. Which reminds me how you and I... Talked about opening a homebrew shop. Yep, and I Phoenix. I still have a desire to maybe do that because there still is nothing, and it just yeah. really surprises me that in Central Phoenix you can't find a fermentation 
central because to me it's more than just homebrew. Homebrew is you know making beverages at home. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and it's, what it's most a lot broader think, for you. Right, right. Most people think, oh, you make beer, and it's you know it's probably not that great because you make it at home, right? Well, yeah, I guess. I disagree. In Michigan, homebrewers have been able to reproduce stuff that I have tasted in Belgium. You know, it's yeah. they're really good at brewing. Mm. There's there's a lot of really great microbreweries out there that do collaborations with homebrewers, which is also a really that fun is really thing. Cool. So when I first got started, um, started visiting the homebrew shop and had some really great people that help you, you know, yeah, read this book or, you know, go to this event or talk to this person or, you know, maybe join a homebrew club. Right. And so I, I did all of those things and really immersed myself in, in the sport, if you want to call it that. <laughs> I think you, I mean, there's a competitive spirit, but the, some of the fun of homebrewing is competing with yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what did I do last time? Competing and with yourself and maybe competing with the big guys yeah. and, and saying like, oh, that's a really tasty brew. Can I reproduce that? And then maybe make it a twist on what I really like yeah. about that beer and, mm-hmm. and emphasize that or something like that, yeah. right? You have a special beer that you always love to brew at home? Yeah, there was... My favorite to this day is a Belgian triple. Um, it's not a very easy beer to get a hold of in most microbreweries or even in bottles. More so today, but 10 years ago, you couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, And I... So the bottle shop that I got a lot of uh, the stuff that I learned about all the beer styles that you know, mm-hmm. we now know, know a lot of things about. Mm-hmm. Um, had, had a Belgian triple that I tried and I just fell in love with it. You know, So it's sort of a Hefeweizen uh, with more effervescence, with less yeast. Um, well, but, it, but like it's, a, it's cleaner, so it's more yeah, attenuated. It's, it's cleaner, a little more stronger. Pepper, yeah, more little, bubble gum, less banana. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Very it's refreshing. Just, Beautiful, beautifully complex, refreshing, strong, and and just something I had never tried before. And yeah. so I I brewed that up a couple times and really got good at a particular style of doing that. Yeah. And ooh, it's well, to my day is my question. favorite thing. Did you did you start with that like the Belgian triple or did no, you do no, a no. porter and a pale ale and an yeah, amber? Yeah, did all sorts. Okay. of, you know, amber. Because like, I, I want our people listening to know that like <laughs> I didn't Taylor. Taylor's not this guy. I know that like was like you know what I'm gonna homebrew and then he made a Belgian triple and it was incredible. No, no. It takes practice to get to a beer like that. And you hadn't mentioned, but I know this is one of the reasons why it's harder to make at home is uh, managing that yeast is a little more difficult. Yep. That's one of the reasons you can make a lot of mistakes in an amber or a porter, and nothing is too abrasive. Sure. Or in your face, but sure. something like a Trebel where it is, like you said, like a lot of, there's a lot of um, essence of flavor mm-hmm. to make a really good one. So for sure, Belgian is a hard... Yeah, you typically have to have a um, a yeast starter to do a Belgian yep. triple because they're, it, it's such a high gravity beer that y- you need a lot of yeast to really kickstart the fermentation. And so that that's definitely an advanced technique that most home brewers, I would say, don't even get into. Yeah. Um, unless you really Because it like, takes more time. Yeah. And more discipline. A, a lot more effort goes into doing a yeast starter because cleanliness comes in into mm-hmm. play. The the equipment that you use is a whole new set of equipment. You got to have a you know a, a beaker of some sort to grow your first batch, and it's just ugh. it's a, it's a little over the top for someone just getting into it. One of the things I really love about home brewing is I tried something different every single time I brewed. 
Yeah. And, and I did kind of narrow in on the triple for a while cause I loved it so mm-hmm. much. Um, but you, you know, you could do a Flanders red ale or you could do a vanilla Java Porter, or you could do some crazy thing that you saw at the bottle shop and right. you really loved this style. And you know, it was $10 for a little tiny bottle from Belgium you could actually look up the yeast style and recipe online for that kind of beer and all of a sudden Try to make replicate it. 10 gallons for, you know, 50 bucks. And <laughs> I love how cost effective and conscious you are. You beer. know, when I got into brewing, I was a poor college student just out of college with a ton of debt. And, you know, I was, I was looking to save money, not, have, not going to the bar every night and spending, you know, six bucks on a pint. I was looking, you know, how cheap can I make this stuff? Well, I got down to like 20 cents a beer, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) if you're able to grind your own grain and uh, kind of harvest your own yeast and and create your own system with um, really basic equipment, you can make some really good, tasty beers. It's that general principle of if you make things for yourself, Mm -hmm. it will often be cheaper since you don't pay for all the labor. And it turned out it was a great thing to give as a gift i guess in in all areas of my life i really appreciate making things whenever i can Mm -hmm. as opposed to buying something it it you really can't do it with everything you know computers or what have you but i made these microphones no that's great they're pretty beautiful yeah they're great i they're if you touch them they'll burn your hands though (laughs) that's the one thing i can't (laughs) watch out yeah watch out (laughs) so Falling in love with beer, you're making that great Belgian beer. When does spirits come along? Yeah, so I moved down to Phoenix three years ago and sold some of my equipment that wasn't very shippable. I moved down here with sort of a a, a more streamlined setup, and beers weren't really turning out when I started using the Phoenix water. And I, you know, I what a surprise! Couldn't figure out what was going on, and it really, you know, kind Dave. of disappointed me. <laughs> so I got kind of disillusioned with beers not turning out. It's like, mm-hmm. oh man, like I think it's the water. I'm gonna have to start using RO water and building up, you know, pro Which is water profiles. What you do have to do here. It is. You you really have to work with the water to get it to do what you want, and you have to strip it out and build it up and blend it with this or that and it's just it's more than i think i had a gut for yeah moving down here i took a break for a little while and had a friend that was interested in doing some distilling and so we said well i've got a pressure cooker in my kitchen that i use for canning let's uh i found this little instructable online that uh turn your pressure cooker into a still yeah the one little trip to the hardware store and we were uh making brandy the next day making brandy the next day so brandy's the first spirit that led you into it we just bought a bottle of fortified port fortified wine yeah Uh, yeah Pulled that thing through and started sipping some brandy and it was real nice real nice like (laughs) we only got maybe a a shot or two <laughs> out of the whole bottle because <laughs> it was so guy. inefficient and yeah. we were just so, you know, scared about, you know, right. oh, you can go blind if you drink the wrong thing and all these, like, myths that seem to abound around in the the, dis- the home distilling world is like, oh, you're going you're gonna to kill yourself if you drink this. And, you know, I, I don't know that there are any verifiable cases of people dying from stuff that they have distilled them at home. Um, there certainly are some things you need to be 
careful about. Like mm-hmm, for when, sure. it, when it first comes out of the still, you know, it smells like methanol. I think that's what it is. I think it's methanol. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get too into the terms or anything. It's, it's clear that it, you should not drink that because it smells bad. <laughs> right. And, and and so, you know, I think it's the first 10% or whatever. You, yeah, it's cutting you, your heads and your tails. Yeah, you, right. you dump it out and just put that aside, put it down the drain to make sure no one drinks it and you're good to go. Um, you know, and then and then you start sipping it just to see when it starts to get better and better and better. And then, yeah. you know, right in the middle, you got the heart's. That's the best. That's stuff. the part that you should drink, exactly, and you will enjoy drinking exactly. the most. And and choosing where that cut is going to be is is the difference between a really nice spirit and a mediocre spirit. Yeah, and having a distiller that can discern between those flavors is is what makes a good distiller and a good distillery. Absolutely, I, I haven't visited a ton of Arizona distilleries quite yet, uh, just because I I recently had a. a, a a child, my first child was born, and so I Yay. haven't been getting out quite as much. But, <laughs> but that's okay. You make enough stuff at home. Yeah, so that's the idea. Out and drink. That's it's the all idea. There. It's already there for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you know, and I'm being from Colorado. I try not to compare. Right. I mean, we're both it's, from. It's not we come from. I know it's not healthy. <laughs> we come from places where cultures and trends have been set, like mm-hmm. historically. Right. And that's not just us bragging about where we're from because no. we don't have anything to do with it. Yeah, I, I think. I think the fun thing about being a transplant to Phoenix, just to the greater Arizona area, is watching stars rise, still mm-hmm. being blown away by the few and far between that come up and like make incredible beverage and spirits. And the really exciting thing about this area is there's a lot of opportunity for creativity mm-hmm. to thrive still. So like Arizona Distilling, they they have a, a mesquite whiskey, right? Mm-hmm. And and I remember the first time I tried that, I'll, this is ex- this is the kind of stuff that gets. Well, that me might excited. be Del Bach. Is it Del Bach? Yeah, okay. I think it's Del Bach that has that white mesquite. Yes, I yeah, recently had. I that think too. you're right. I think you're right. I'm trying to remember the label yeah. I was looking at. <laughs> Such good stuff, and 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 it's local. It ties to the culture of of the state being mesquite. You know, no, right. no other state can. I guess maybe Texas has has some mesquite in it, but. Um, I just I really love that kind of stuff where you you tie to the local flora and fauna. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you use those unique things to make your products super creative and and local. There may be people listening. They're passionate like you are, and they just want to take a step. How would you lead somebody in Phoenix or just? I mean, we have people outside of the state as well that listen, but. Let's say you meet somebody at a bar. We're at Ren House where you mm-hmm. and I like to drink. Mm-hmm. And somebody next to you hears that you're a home brewer or home distiller. What are the first things you leave them to do? Where, where should they go in town? What's the first book they should pick up? For home brewing and home distilling? Yeah, well, because for you, you say, you know, when people say home brewing, you see it as this beautiful blanket. I'm going to make cool spirits. I'm going to make fun ciders. I, know, I think, do you make non-alcoholic stuff too? I do. I yeah. remember you make sodas or, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you like... You really go to town on the homebrew thing, so you're the right oh, yeah. stranger to run into at a bar yeah, I and just, have a conversation. Just yesterday, about. I made a batch of kvass. Have you ever heard of kvass? I, tell me about it. <laughs> what is it? It's a Russian beverage that uh, historically they've made out of rye bread leftovers. Pretty, I would say, balanced drink. It's not too sweet, not too bitter. You don't typically put hops or anything in it, mm-hmm. but it, uh, it goes down really well, and it's a great summer drink. You're gonna have to come on the show. We're gonna have to talk more about stuff like that later. But let's get back to the, I'm a new friend. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what to, what should be the first few steps I'd take to kick up my passion of the greater homebrewing? I, I, 
often recommend to people to start with cider just because it's so easy. Get a five-gallon bucket from Home Depot. Get the white one, not the orange one, because you don't want orange stuff in your beverages. Stick some apple juice in there. Stick some lemonade in there. Stick something in there. Get some bread yeast, ferment it up, and just try it. If you want to get into brewing beer and kind of take the next step from that real basic stuff of just Mm -hmm. like pitching yeast into a bucket, Mm -hmm. I'd say get the book by, uh, I think it's John Palmer. If you're into reading, I'd I'd just read through the book and just kind of get a general idea of how to ferment things. Uh, Everything you need to know to brew beer right for the first time. Yep. And this is, I bought mine on Amazon, so. There's some new stuff out there, but you know, you can get distracted in brewing with all these people doing interesting things on the internet. I'm a member of uh, Homebrew Talk. It's a really great online forum. Go on there, check out you know what people are doing. You can you know search for a recipe on there, and you'll find probably twelve of them to go off of. And and I guess that's the idea: is there's not a wrong way to brew if you like what you're making. Right. That's so what it, that's as long as it, you're cleaning your. As long as it's sterile. Right. And, it, you know, then, then it will be okay. <laughs> Whatever you make will turn out in a way where you'll how find it to be good. How to brew makes it very clear that uh, making a sterile environment for fermenting is probably one of the top priorities. Yes. And when most people ask me about home brewing, I think they're surprised when I go into cleaning processes right. first and foremost is. and you know they, they think oh it's so much fun and i you know you you heat up this thing on on your stove and you cool it down with this really cool thing and it's like that stuff all is fun and nice and cool to look at and great to take pictures of but the the first hour before you brew and creating a clean environment and cleaning all of your equipment thoroughly is what's going to make a great product. And that's actually one of the things I like about spirits is there's yeah, less well, clean. When you were, when you were going to finish your roll on cleanliness, I was going to say, okay, but, but I'm a really messy, I'm not a messy guy, but let's say I'm a really messy guy, yeah. but I really want to make something, then, I, then you were going to say, well, then you just need to make whiskey. That's true. That's true. And Home distilling, I think, is harder to get into because the equipment necessary to do uh, home distilling is more complicated than home brewing. It just is, you know. My my first still was a, uh, uh, actually a teapot with a cork in it. Next thing up was the um, the pressure cooker that I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. Now I I use a fifteen gallon kegel with a a three inch copper riser that mm-hmm. um, is is pretty tall. <laughs> yeah, gets a lot more out for you. Yep. yep. Yeah. And and now I can do about a liter an hour, and that's that's kind of where I like to be. I think homedistiller.org is what helped me the most with getting distilling. Cool. Uh, pulling that together. Awesome. I guess I was uh, more scared going into it just because uh, when you're dealing with heat and pressure and alcohol, there there's the potential, you know, for for bad things to happen. So I, uh, I and you mean explosions. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Just to make that clear. Explosions and uh, other various uh, heat-related accidents. All right, Taylor, thanks again so much for coming in and talking with me about home brewing, which now we let's all agree that when someone says home brewing, it means making beverages at home of lots of multiple capacities. Yes. So, yes. Um, well, we'll have to get together soon and taste through some of your cider and your uh, Belgian triple and your uh, German... I mean, your Russian Kvass. Uh, Kvassier. Am I close? Am I getting it wrong? Kvass. Kvassier. Yeah. 
I guess, just, I guess I can't say it. It's just kvass. Just kvass. Thanks again so much, and I look forward to drinking all of the things that you make for my tummy. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Craft, your local Arizona craft beer podcast. Follow Dan and Dave on Instagram at four underscore the underscore craft and connect with the guys on Facebook. Search For the Craft. And don't forget to buy local, you dirty sons of bitches.